can, I want to try and make this a little more interactive if we can. What I want to do in, in this hour is to kind of give an overview of how to interpret the Bible, okay? High level, and then this afternoon we're going to, we'll dig a little deeper. So I only have, you know, about four or five points for us. They're, they're going to be easy, um, and that way uh, th- this hopefully will be something that as you, you know, just as you come to the scriptures, it'll, it'll help you, all right? Um, the, the, the whole thing is this. Let me start by asking the question, and, and I'm looking for answers here. Why should we care about how to interpret the Bible rightly? What do you guys think? Yeah. When you get that knock at the door, oh wait, Jehovah's Witnesses don't do that anymore. But when they do, when they used to do that, how, how do you know they're right or wrong? I mean, have you ever, anyone here have discussions with like a Jehovah's Witness or Mormon or, do they seem quite convincing? I mean, do they have an argument? And they can really make it sound like it makes sense. Now, if you really want to have some fun, you talk to someone who, like an Orthodox Jew and you really get some creative stories. Because, you know, they, I, I, on my Apologetics live show, we had an Orthodox guy come in, he teaches the Talmud, and people are like, what in the world is he, like, where does he get this stuff? And I, I told my co-host after, after the show, I'm like, yeah, just have to understand, Jewish people love to debate and argue. We'll come up with the most crazy ways. So, like, I, I, had, a, I had a guy that tried converting back to, to Judaism, and we went out for dinner, and his argument was this. He said, see, only the rabbis have an answer to the, the, the difficulties of the Bible. And that's how you know Judaism's right. I said, okay, what's, give me an example. He goes, well, you, you Christians, you think that David had sinned and, you know, had, had committed adultery. But that, could, that didn't, never happened. Okay, now, now my interest is peaked, right? This is, so how do you get to that? I mean, because I, I, when I read the Bible, he not only committed adultery, but he committed murder. Or at least was planned it. <clears throat> he goes, no, no, no. See, God, he, David was a man after God's own heart. So he couldn't have done that. So now notice what just happened. He starts with a conclusion, right? And now what is, what's he going to do? He's going to take the Bible and find a way to weave it to the conclusion. So what he does is he goes, so see, see, when they would go to war, they had two different types of divorces they would give. They had a temporary and a permanent. And temporary was like, you know, if you go to war and you... You died, your wife, but you didn't come back, and they didn't know you're just missing an action. Your wife wouldn't be able to live without a husband. So the temporary divorce would allow her to remarry. But see, Uriah gave her a permanent one. And we know that because when Uriah came back, he wouldn't go home to sleep with her because he would have been committing adultery if he did that. So then why did David have Uriah killed? Oh, they the rabbis have an answer for that. It's because of the fact that he called David Lord, and that's blasphemy. Now, you look at this, and, and this guy was thoroughly convinced that this argument was sound. And I'm thoroughly convinced he's cuckoo, <laughs> right? I'm looking at this going, just read. You know, you know, a lot of times on my show, on Apologetics Live, which is, a, which is a live show, anyone can come in. It, it's, it's really quite funny because what happens on that show is people come in prepared to debate me, and I don't know I'm going to be having a debate that night. Okay? It's an open show. Anyone can ask any questions. 
and people come in prepared. <laughs> and so there's times where it's impromptu debate. And someone asked once, how do I prepare for that show when I never know I'm going to be in a debate? I said, there's two areas I study. Two. Hermeneutics, which is what we're going to talk about now, how to interpret the Bible, and logic. If you understand those two, you really just have to use those two and you can, you can debate kind of anybody that, you know, even when you're not prepared. Because, at least when it's coming with God, because what we're going to do is stick to this book. Now, one of the things I won't do is give up this book, by the way. Right? The, the Jewish guy that came on a month ago, he's like, well, well he wants to, to say, well, let's throw out the New Testament because we're trying to prove that if the New Testament's from God, and therefore we have to throw it out. And so he's, he's pointing out these apparent contradictions. And I said, okay, well, let's, I, so what did I do? I found a, a, an apparent contradiction in the Old Testament. I said, well, first off, we got to throw out the Old Testament first. He's like, well, no, that's written by God. We agree on that. I said, no, but you have to have the same standard. You, you, you can't be inconsistent with it. I said, I'm going to use the New Testament to prove that the prophecies were fulfilled because I have two presuppositions. God exists. He has spoken. I'm not giving those up. Those are two things that we're going to start with, and we're not going to leave that. So, so I'm going to start with the New Testament. I'm going to say this is what the, the Bible says. This is what God says. And he'll be like, oh, no, that's not, you know, we, we haven't established that's what God says. It, the same argument you're doing, I could take your same argument, use it for the Old Testament. Now you have nothing. In fact, I, we got him to a point where he, he threw out the whole sacrificial system. <laughs> okay? Because they start with a conclusion. So, so one of the things we have to realize is when we're going to be looking at why and rightly interpret the Bible, one reason is, is because there's just a little bit of falsehood out there, right? Just in California, just a little, right? You guys are, this is the Bible Belt? No? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, I mean, how much, you look in the area, how much falsehood can be taught, the false religions, and yet the truth has to be silenced, especially here in California, right? I thought it really funny that in, in, during COVID, you guys remember those times? Okay. Um, yeah, you, you, you had, you know, I moved out of the communist state of New Jersey during COVID, so I, you know, um, but you guys got to ex the extended version of COVID. <laughs> but, uh, you know, one of the things I found really interesting, uh, a pastor I knew in New Jersey, he was arrested for being, he was at a pulpit, he was the only one in the building, preaching through a, you know, AM, FM thing, and people were in the cars, in their cars with their families. The cars even were, they had, the cars were in every other spot, so even the cars were, you know, sep or, or, were, uh, you know, so social distanced, Okay. Every, every driver, the police came in, fined every person $1,500 and arrested the pastor. This was early on when it first, when we, it first happened. I was kind of curious. I drove, same town, drove down on Friday to a local mosque. And there's the police officer waving people into the parking lot as they're parking and walking in the building. Falsehood is fine. They have no problem with falsehood. <clears throat> but how do we, how do we, debunk that? How do we answer that? Y you have family members maybe that are, are not believers and they, they, they want to challenge it. You know, well, that's just you believing a, a religion. No, this is God's word, right? 
But how do we rightly know? The, another, error, another reason is really important. How, how many of us here struggle with things in life? Anyone? Or am I alone? Okay. How many people, I'll, I'm not going to ask Pastor Steve, how many, how many people do you think Pastor Steve probably counsels every week? <laughs> right? As a pastor, you constantly have people coming and, and being like, you know, how do I deal with this situation in life, this situation in life? And yet, God gives us most of the answer. In fact, here's the reality. I'm gonna, I'll give you a little secret. You, anything you're going to go to Pastor Steve on, he's just going to give you this anyway. Right? And so if you know this, you could save him some time. <laughs> he and Bika can spend dinner together and enjoy it. But the reality is the better we know this book, this word, the better we know the one who wrote it, right? So, so this is why we, we, we want to devote our life to understand what God had said, right? If, if, any, any of one here get invited to the White House? For, no? Okay. Um, but if you got invited to the White House, okay, maybe not with the current guy because he wouldn't even know you're there, but, but <laughs> what? He admits his wife has to remind him he's president every day, and I think he, I think he, he, I think he wanted to say that you know, that was because he couldn't believe he's actually president. I, I, I think it's more because he doesn't know. He's like, where am I? No. But you get invited to the White House. You're going to be listening at, that, at the, you know, the White House. You're going to listen to what the president says, right? You're going to be wanting because it, this sounds special. How much more when we open this book and we get to hear from the creator of the universe, the one who spoke everything into existence. If there's anything that we could devote our lives to, this is it. Another reason I think that I've had to add to uh, this in recent years that this becomes so important is because I think a time is coming in America, you're not going to have this. It's going to be taken away from us as we're sitting in, in a prison or work camp. And when that time comes, as much of this that you have inside you, that's going to be what you have. You know, in, in North Korea, there, there was someone who escaped, and they had just a portion of a Bible. He escaped from North Korea, came to South Korea, became a pastor, and he had a portion. I forget what book. It, wasn't, it was just a few chapters, but that's all he had of God's Word. He had it memorized, and every message he, he preached was from, basically, he always got back to that. Why? Because that was, for many years, all he had of God's word. And so it, it sustained him, right? It was, it was precious to him. The reality is, we have so many copies of this at home, just collecting dust. You know, okay, so this is, this is some humor for you guys, and you get to laugh at my expense. But I had someone that came to my house, and I, ha I have different book Bibles and different translations, and guy comes in and he says, I have three shelves, three 36-inch shelves of Bibles. And he goes, man, with all these Bibles, you should be the holiest man I know. And my wife turns and says, only if he's reading them. <laughs> but isn't that true? Right? Having, having lots of Bibles does us nothing when they sit closed and, and are just for decoration. But this guy in Korea, with just a few chapters, he's memorizing it. He's, he's meditating on it. The word in, in, that we use in meditate is actually, it, it comes from the, uh, the way cows eat. 
they regurgitate up and then rechew it. I know it's not what we should talk about right after breakfast, but, but that's what we should do with the Word. Bring it back up and bring it back down. Bring it back up and we should be constantly meditating upon. So, so that is all just, I wanted to, us to have a heart of why it's important to do this. There's, I, I would argue there's nothing more valuable you could do in your lives, men, than know the Word of God. Do not count, sorry, Pastor Steve, do not count on your pastor for the Word of God. In other words, Sunday is not enough. He spends all week to dig in deep because we're at least 2,000 years removed from the culture. Right? You know, we, we have, our culture is so, I mean, even for those of us here, I, my, my daughter once asked me, Dad, what did you do when, when your parents granted you from a cell phone? I'm like, are you kidding me? We had one phone in the house. It was in the kitchen. And we were excited when we got a 25-foot cord so you could walk out of the kitchen so all your siblings didn't hear your conversations, right? I mean, that concept is so different. But picture a concept in the first century. They'd be like, a phone? What's that? Right? They couldn't conceive of a conversation where you could talk to someone that's not right in front of them. So you see, things have changed. And so pastor's job is to dig in to understand the Word of God, to bring it to us, right? That's, the, that's his goal, what, what he spends his week doing. And, and that's, I mean, when I do the longer, the, the full se- our full seminar, my in- encouragement, and this is going to be an encouragement to you guys, is as we go through this, realize doing interpretation of God's Word, hermeneutics, it's hard work because it's a different culture, it's a different time, different language. you got to understand all that. And it makes it hard. And I don't want to make it seem like it's easy. It isn't. It's good for us, though. And we got to work at it. But that's why we pay a pastor to study all week long, and he's got to spend 20, 30 hours in one text of Scripture to bring it to us on a Sunday, right? So, so let's look at some things. I've already kind of given a, a clue. The first lesson, the first point that I want to give to us, and one of the most important in interpretation is context. Any of you guys like being taken out of context? No? God doesn't like it either. <laughs> John Calvin said, well, I'll paraphrase because, you know, it was, he didn't speak English. But John Calvin had said this basically. When you take God out of context, you no longer have God's word but man's word. Because when you're taking him, what his, what, his, what he said, and you give it a new meaning, that meaning didn't come from God. It came from man. And so we want to know what God said. And that's going to be the most important thing. So when we look at context, there's a lot of different contexts we have with the Bible. Okay? One is obviously I mentioned, actually I mentioned a couple. Let's see who picked up on some. What, what are some of the things that we, we, I mentioned with context. Culture, right? Any of us from a, a Greek, a Greco-Roman culture? Okay, let's go even more. Any of us nomads like, like Abraham was? You, you live in a tent and you pick up and move? No. Can't even conceive that type of lifestyle, right? How many of us can conceive like not going to the grocery store when it's time to go f- to get food? So cultural context, time. I already mentioned we're at least 2,000 to 3,500 years removed 
a lot of things has changed in that time, right? We're, we're, we also have cult, uh, context of the language itself. There's a grammatical context. When we say certain things, especially with certain languages, Hebrew is a more picturesque language. There's not as many words to it as there is in Greek. So Greek is more specific. And so you're going to have things in the Greek that are going to help us. Word order can make a difference. Who here speaks two languages? Okay. I barely speak English, but I, I can speak programming languages. If any of you understand programming languages, computers, I can speak that. But if you have different languages, you speak different languages, you understand that sometimes things don't translate perfectly. If I want to say in, in uh, my wife is uh, from Hong Kong, so she speaks Cantonese. So if I want to tell her that I'm, I'm happy, I would, it would literally be translated, open heart am I. Open heart. That's, that's the word for happy. Actually, it's kind of it's nice when you think about it, the meaning of it, right? It means I've been, I'm open. I have, my heart's completely open to you, right? And so sometimes language has a context. So we have to get back into the language, right? That's a, one of the things a lot of people will, and I'll, I'll do this this afternoon, is show you where because of our English, we miss the point of some passages of Scripture. Because English just isn't as you know, as verbose in some areas. And sometimes because of the way things are translated, it, it ends up unknowingly causing confusion. So, so all these different things that we look at, there is a context to the scriptures. And that, that is the most important thing to look at. I'll, I'll give you examples in the, in the next session. As I said, next, we're gonna, we'll dig deeper with some of these. But when we look at the context we also have a context of not just the, the, the grammar and word order, things like that, but you have a context of what's the chapter before the chapter after. Dave, you may know. I don't, I'm not putting you on the spot, but you may. Do you know when we got chapter breaks and, and verses just roughly? Were, were they originally in the first, in the early? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we didn't have chapter breaks, and verses for a long time. So when you, you think about that, I mean, the, this was actually meant, it's going to surprise people, this was meant to be read as a book. <laughs> you know, First Peter was meant to be read all the way through, not just First Peter 1-2, you know, <laughs> as, as if it stands by itself. That becomes really, really important. You know, any of you any of you hear this? Usually it, this is used at a Wednesday night prayer meeting. You know, there's only a few people, and someone will say, well, well two or three are gathered here. There the Lord is in the midst. And people say, oh, that's so encouraging. Is, is that the context? Well, no, because when you read the context, it's, yeah, two or three are gathered because they're disciplining someone out of the church. <laughs> yes, it is meant to be encouraging, but not because there's so few people on a Wednesday night Bible study. It's encouraging because when we have to do something we don't want to do, but God has called us to do, he encourages us to say, look, if you went through the process and you have two or three gathered, know that God is with you, right? And so as we look at that, the context becomes really important there. 
So one of the things I, I did on, uh, I always do when someone asks me about a verse, actually, it's just, just on, my, on my flight over here, I was at the airport, someone called me up and he's like, he asked a question about in Second Peter, he's studying something to, to prepare to teach at his church. And he had a question about verse 12. And I said, well, let's back up. And so we started up at verse 9 and read through it. And as we're reading it, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm starting to see that now. I go on the streets in New York City, and, and I just stand up. Some of you guys know I, I do street ministry, and I, I'll stand up on street corners, and I'll, I'll proclaim the gospel. And there'd be times where people would be like, you know, what about, and, and I don't know, any of you guys, um, there's a website, I don't know if you've been there, but there's like an, uh, a, and I forget the name of it now, I want to say Atheist Bible, but it's not, but there's a, a site where the atheists used to, to give all the, the verses they used to, to try to debunk Christians. Um, I forget I forget the site now. Shoot. But uh, I, I haven't heard it in a while, but they used to do it. And like one of the ones is, look, what do you do about this verse? And they have a verse in the Old Testament that talks about someone who, who is castrated and castrated. And therefore, he can't be in the kingdom of God. And all I did was back up to verse 1, and you start realizing, yeah, he's castrated to identify in a, as a, a priest in a false religion. Well, that's not, you know, because they were trying to say, so you're saying anybody who, who's castrated, they, they can't go to heaven. My response was, well, according to this, all I did was read it. I said, well, according to that, if they're, if, if they're doing that as part of a false religion, to be a priest in a false religion, then, yeah, I guess that, that would be. <laughs> Is that what you were saying? You know, and they're like, oh, no. And we, we had some guy that had just gotten saved. He ended up working for our ministry years ago. But he, he would sit there. He was in the Word of Faith movement when he got saved. And he would just watch this crazy street preacher that all I would do is say, let's back up to verse one <laughs> and read it. And he was like, ah. Oh. So he, was, he started doing that at church. <clears throat> the pastor would give a verse and he'd back up and start reading the concept. Go, wait, that's, that's not what this says. <laughs> and he ended up leaving the church and he went to a charismatic church. Sort of still in the same vein, same thing happened. And then he ended up in a, in a Baptist church. And then he ended up in a Reformed Baptist church. You know. So, so what, what did he do? He's like, he goes, I, I learned the Word of God. I learned theology just from reading the context. Just start at verse 1. Greg Kokel says, never read a Bible verse. Read the whole chapter. Read the book. Don't read just the verse. Because I'll tell you something. Um, some of you guys know Anthony Silvestro, right? He's, he's been out here. And so when Anthony was writing his book on the origin of kinds, it was, it was actually half the book when, when he gave it to me to edit, and I doubled it. <laughs> but one of the things that we ended up doing in there is he had, he had quotations that he got from other ministries and other people. And, you know, and ones I actually had used myself at times because I trusted the, the other ministries and people. But when you're putting it in a book, you got to make, you got to double check your sources. And there were things that, that, we had always heard, and I, we said, well, we got to study this out. I'll give you an example of one. When you look at the first days of Genesis, you'll hear some people will say that any time you see the word yom, the Hebrew word for day, used with a number or morning and evening, it's always a 24-hour day. Well, I got my Bible software out. I did a quick check. That's not true. I found plenty of passages where you have a number, and it's not a literal 24 hours. You have morning or evening, and it's not a literal 24 hours. 
So we, we, he had that in his book. He ripped that out. Why? We found out it's not true. Even though everybody was teaching, everyone gets it, they hear it, makes sense. So few people check it. Well, we checked it and went, oh. So now what Anthony ended up saying was everywhere where it's an ordinal number. Now that is true. Every place where it's an ordinal number, it is a literal 24-hour day. I don't use that argument though. Why? Well, because in Genesis 1, the first day is a cardinal number. When it says the first day, that's a cardinal, and then two, three, four, five, six, and seven are ordinal. So if you if you make that the argument, someone's going to go, oh, see, gap theory, it allows for gap theory. I just use it, how do I argue it? From the context itself. If, if, if you look at the context, what does it say? It says the first thing that's created was what? Light. Why? What was the purpose of the light according to the, the very first thing? What does the light do? It separates what? Day and night. Separating day and night, why would that be important? Why would that be important in the context to separate day from night? Oh, to separate millions of years. No, it wasn't millions of years of light and millions of years of darkness. He's saying that he created light to separate day from night. And then what does he do? Counts day and night by saying it was evening and then morning. What is the evening and the morning? Day and night. It's the, it's the context that tells us that Yom is a 24-hour day. I don't need to jump around and look at the way it's used in different places. You see? So, so context is, is number one. That is the most important thing. Okay, when it comes to reading scripture, I'll tell you what, what really helped me. Um, I remember early on when, when I, any of you guys uh, read like Ryrie's Basic Theology? It's a really good uh, systematic theology just because like every chapter is maybe three pages. I don't agree with everything Ryrie would teach, but it gives a, a good overview. But I just like that he was concise with things, Okay. And I guess I've kind of copied that because that's, I guess, what everyone says with my writing is that, but I have, I have a systematic theology back there if you want. And, but when, what I would do is when he would make an argument, he'd, he'd just cite Bible verses, right? You know what I did with every one of those ones he cited? I read the entire chapter. It took longer to get through reading each chapter of his, of his systematic theology. But you know what? Do that. Every time someone cites a verse... Just read the whole chapter. If they cite John 3.16, read all of John 3. Get the context. Make sure that the person's actually reading it in context or, or writing it in context. Because a lot of times you're going to find there are so many things that people say, the Bible says, that just a simple reading of context shows wrong. Okay, sometimes you have to understand some of the Hebrew. How, how many people have gone, been to like a missions conference, something like that, and you've had... Uh, Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is the text where they say, go, make disciples, and, and the whole emphasis on going to the world, that's the Great Commission, is to go, and you feel great for the missionary, and if you're not the missionary, they ask you to send money to the missionary, right? You guys all know the missionary handshake? <laughs> right? <laughs> so, right, they, they focus on the go, but when you look at the Greek, go is an adverb. It means it supports the verb. So it can't be the main thing because it supports the main thing. It should be translated going, make disciples. You see, the emphasis is not on the go. 
It could be translated, as you go, make disciples. So the verb is make, and the subject is disciples, not go. Where, where so many people preach, go world, right? And that's not it. Totally miss the, the meaning. The focus is that you and I, as we go about our day, make disciples. You come upon someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ, you know how you make a disciple? Teach them all things Christ taught you. If they don't know Christ, the first thing you start with is the gospel, right? And then once they, they receive Christ, then you unload everything you've, you know, 30 years of, of, of learning the Bible, right? No, no, do it slowly. Don't give them the, <laughs> the fire hose. But you start discipling them and teach them everything God has taught you, right? And that, something some, simple as that, and so many people get it wrong. So let's look at the, the second point. The second point is uh, is to differentiate, okay, what I want you to do is to differentiate two different types of, of style of writing. You, there's a, um, what we call descriptive and prescriptive, okay? So we want to differentiate between descriptive and prescriptive. So what I mean by that is this. Descriptive is when the Bible explains what actually happened. Okay. Prescriptive is when the Bible tells you how to behave. So anybody know how many wives and concubines Solomon had? Well, but combined, he had six, was it 700 wives and 300 concubines, right? So 1,000 women, right? So you should go have 1,000 women, right? Is, exactly. When it describes... What actually happened, what it's doing is just saying, okay, this is what Solomon did. Not necessarily saying whether we should or shouldn't do it. So the Bible is accurate, 100% accurate, but one of the things people do is they go, oh, see, the Bible is wrong because the Bible will sometimes say things that we would know isn't true, but yet what it's doing is recording what actually someone actually said. So it's accurate in what they said. Just because they're not saying something that's true doesn't make the Bible wrong. It makes the person who said it wrong, but the Bible's accurate in describing what actually happened. Here's an interesting thing. Uh, I have 14 years of my life, um, I spent studying cults and world religions. Um, I don't advise it. <laughs> Save yourself the time. Get my book. <laughs> 14 years, you don't have to. But... One of the things I noticed is that most cults, you know where they spend a majority of their time? Interpreting Old Testament historical narratives. They take things that are descriptive and try to make it prescriptive. So they, they take something that describes what actually happened, and they build whole theologies and, and teachings of it and say, this is what we should be doing today. It's, the, it's interesting they do it. Now, why? Because so much of the Old Testament is descriptive. Not all of it. But a lot of it, and much of the New Testament is prescriptive, but not all of it. And, and in the next hour or so, I'm going to go through some of that and, and dive deeper. But you have to understand which type of language you're dealing with. Because a lot of people, what they do is they take something that is just describing what the actual events, and then what they do is go, oh, see, this is how we behave. So sh should we have slaves? That's one that, you know, people say, well, see, the Bible's wrong because it teaches slavery. 
Okay. Was slavery actually something that occurred back then? Yeah. Was it teaching the slavery that people think of as slavery? No, actually, that surprises people. The Bible teaches that people were not property. And, oh, by the way, slaves got paid a half day's wage. That's not the slavery we think of. People would have to sell themselves as slaves. It was, it was a work system for people that couldn't take care of themselves. And, by the way, much of the talk where it is instructional or prescriptive with slaves, it's usually toward the masters in their responsibility to care for the slaves. When it talks about the slaves, it's just about the area of submission. And it's usually in a context of as, as the extreme, like we're all supposed to submit, right? And so when we look at this, people use that and say, see, the Bible teaches slavery, so it's wrong. No, the Bible is explaining what actually happened in history. And, and the slavery that it talks about is, is different. So one of the things we want to do is go, okay, when we're looking at passages of Scripture, is this descriptive or is it prescriptive? Is it teaching me some instructions I should be following? Or is it just describing what's happening? That's a question you want to ask yourself because that becomes very, very important because once you understand that, you will, you'll start to understand um, at that point, okay, what am I, what am I dealing with? Am I, am, I, am I going to be taking this and trying to learn to, um, you know, to apply this to my life? Or am I going to take this and say, you know what, this is describing what actually happened at the time. Okay, third one. We want to interpret the difficult texts of Scripture by the easy. We want to interpret the difficult by the easy. All right, so what do I mean by that? What I mean is we're, when we have passages that seem hard to understand, uh, just, just this morning I had someone who uh, messaged me saying he, he professed to be a believer many years ago. He, was, uh, he walked away from the faith, walked away from church for eight to ten years, and he's starting to feel like, you know, he, he, he knew he wasn't saved. He knew he was a false convert, but he, he now feels like he, he wants to get right with God. But he listened to John MacArthur teaching on Hebrews 6, and he says, you know, can I ever, can I ever be saved? Because I walked away, if I'm an apostate, it says it's impossible to be saved. Now, I'm basically saying to him, well, the fact that you're asking the question reveals you're not apostate, <laughs> all right? But you know how a lot of people interpret that is they'll take that passage in Hebrews 6 and say, see, you can lose your salvation. Well, okay, when we take a passage like that, what are we going to do? And by the way, I don't have the time to explain all of Hebrews 6. If you do have questions on that, if you go to strivingfraternity.org and just type in Hebrews 6, you'll get a paper I wrote on Hebrews 6 and walks you through how to interpret it. But what, what are we going to start with? Well, let, you're looking at the context, right off the bat, <clears throat> he's spe speaking to a specific culture of people, Jewish people, that would have a very different understanding than our understanding. It, it, they had a different understanding even than the, the, the Romans would have had of things. So, so first off, who is he speaking to? <clears throat> then you start looking at it when it says <clears throat> it's impossible if you've tasted of the light. Well, what is it? The whole thing is the, the tasted and partaking of of the light. People say, well, that's, that must be salvation. Really? Because what well, we have very clear passages of Scripture, Romans 8 and others, that make it really clear that once you're saved, you can never lose that. So what do you do with a passage that seems to indicate that you could lose that? 
Well, as you look at the context there, you start to realize it actually isn't teaching about salvation, but it's, it's teaching about people that were part of the church and left. But they, they, they completely reject God and harden their hearts to him. Those people who knew the truth and rejected it, they had it because they were in the church. Remember, this is a time when it wasn't culturally acceptable to be in church. You know, you could be killed for it. So people didn't do that lightly. And to be a false convert in that day is, di- is, is, is different than being a false convert in our day. I mean, if you're a false convert in Iran, right, it's going to be a little bit different. You're a false convert in Iran, you're not going to be so willing to, to say I'm a Christian openly when you know you could be killed for it. But to do that means you, you had to really understood things and then to reject that and, and to deny all of it, that's more what is being discussed. Someone that really understood these things and walked away. Right? So what do you do? You, you're, I'm looking at the context. I'm looking at who he's speaking to. But what am, how am I going to interpret that? Am I going to say, well, this, this must be you can lose your salvation. Well, one of the things with Hebrews is Hebrews is a very difficult book to interpret. Okay? Because a lot of it alludes back to another book, Leviticus. Any of you enjoy Leviticus? Okay, it, I, I, I'll just tell you, go, just, just go search Leviticus and Andrew Rappaport. I think, there, I think there's two videos out there where I teach through Leviticus in one hour, and after that, you will enjoy the book of Leviticus. I'm just saying. I, I, I do that in Sunday schools, and I tell people, I'll, I'll teach through Leviticus, and in the end, you're going to enjoy Leviticus. People think I'm nuts. And at the end, they all come up and say, you know, I enjoy Leviticus. I'm, gonna, I'm looking forward to reading it now. So, But when you realize that Hebrews is a very difficult to interpret, you're going to start with the Romans 8, which is very clear and easy to understand. And guess what? Romans 8 is specifically speaking of our regeneration. So that's on topic, easy to understand. So we take that and hold that up. And now we interpret Hebrews 6 in light of that and say, okay, the easy to understand, the prescriptive, right? Which one's prescriptive? Romans 8. Which one's descriptive? Hebrews 6. So I'm going to use the prescriptive, easy to understand, to interpret the descriptive, hard to understand. You see how that works? And then I'm going to realize that what it's teaching is that if, you've been, if you're in the church, you're partaking of the body of Christ and walk away. So, so we, we, want to, um, we want to be able to uh, look at this in light of, as we're going to examine the the. Uh, harder texts, we want to go to easier to understand texts. Does that make sense? All right. Um, one other thing that you want to be able to do uh, is, and this one I'm just going to say is not so easy for some people, but this is actually the first thing you, you want to do when you come to the scriptures. Even though I started with, with the idea of context, the first thing that you want to do when you open the Word of God is be willing to question your own presuppositions. In other words, you have to be able to come to this book and say, I could be wrong, God cannot. There's going to be areas where you're going to come to a text of Scripture and you may not like what you hear. Um, I remember I was preaching through Philippians and I had a constant fight with a friend of mine. Uh, He was more reformed than I was at the time. And 
he, we were debate over Ephesians 2, 8, 9. What's the gift? Is it salvation is the gift or is faith the gift? He said faith. I said salvation. And the Greek there actually could go either way. And, and then I'm preaching through uh, Philippians, and I come to Philippians 1, 29. And, and this is the thing. When, when, you're, when you're studying the Word of God, right, question your presuppositions. Because sometimes even though you fight with your friends over something, and you really want to be convinced that something's right, you come upon a passage that says this. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. I went, wait a minute. So our, our suffering is granted to us. Any of us like that? No. <laughs> but he's encouraging people who are suffering to say like, yeah, you're suffering, but know that your suffering, it, it's been granted to you by God. It's been granted to you. But what does he do in trying to say that our suffering is granted by God? He kind of puts this little paraphrase, uh, clause in here to support it. What else was granted to us? According to this, our belief. Our belief was granted to us. And I just remember I, I was getting ready to preach. I, you know, I was studying that week, and I remember calling my buddy Fred, and I went, called him up. I said, Fred, you've been arguing the wrong verse with me for years. <laughs> Philippians 1.29, you should have went there. And, and I had to stand before my congregation and say, look, I've changed. It, it literally was one week, and I changed something I had been arguing for years. All because that's what God's Word said, right? This can't be wrong. I can be. And so what, what we want to do is when we're, when we're coming to the Word of God, we want to be able to question our own presuppositions, which means we got to know what our presuppositions are. Now, I already said there's two presuppositions I will never give up. God exists. He has spoken. Those I won't give up. Because if, without those, I can't make sense of anything. If, if God doesn't exist, I cannot explain the things of this world. There's no way to explain what we see. But if he hasn't spoken, there's no way I know anything about what he's revealed. I could look at the sky and go, yeah, there's a God, but I know nothing, not much about him. I could see he's a God that's very orderly. I could see he's a God that has great power. I have no idea what he wants with me. No, I, I need him to reveal that to be able to understand that, right? And so I have to know that what he says is always going to be right, and what I say may not be, okay? And, and that will get to uh, the last thing is that we have to be able, when we're doing this, uh, we, and, and actually, before I get to the last thing, let me just say this. The, the, the whole thing is that there's, when we come to interpretation, you have two ways that most people interpret, okay? They come to the Word of God, and they're either going to read it by following the rules of interpretation, and that's what we're going to go over in, in the workshop, some of the rules. You're either going to follow the rules, or you're going to follow your own experience. A anyone here try talking to someone who's charismatic? And, and you open the Word of God, and you try showing to them that the, the gifts have ceased. And what, anyone have an idea what they always revert back to? I've never had this fail. What do they always revert back to? Yeah, 
But I, okay, now we're not arguing the Bible, are we? I can't exegete your experience. I can exegete this. Another exegete is a word meaning to take the meaning out of, to interpret, right? I can't do that with your experience. I could do that with the Word of God. But you give me your experience. I mean, I had an experience in college where, you know, a friend of mine, he, he really believed, you know, after doing some mushrooms, he saw a pink elephant coming out of a wall. And he thought, like, he was trying to convince me it was there, it was going to stomp all over us. That was his experience. Does that mean there's pink elephants that come out of walls to stomp on college students? No, I think it was the drugs he was taking, right? People have crazy experiences. Their experience doesn't make it true. By the way, it is kind of confusing because they always have, well, I had this experience. I, I spoke in tongues and I, I shake a lot. And yeah, I know, the, the, the Hindus have the same exact experience. So, so those in the occult, Mormons speak in tongues. Does that mean they're all right? No, we, we, we're going to take your experience and compare it to the Word of God and then see if your experience is right. The other, huh? Oh, everyone does that, yeah. It, it, hey, that sells. You, you, get, you make a lot of money that way, so yeah. But there's another way that we, although, you know, we might not be as likely to, to have the, those experiences to interpret the Bible that way. But you know how we can be prone to? We get some systematic theology book, and we take the Bible and say, well, the Bible must mean this because, well, the Westminster Confession of Faith says this. Or, you know, some systematic theology says this. Well, all of our systematic theologies, including the one I wrote, is written by men and can be wrong. In fact, let me make it even clearer. They are wrong. Every one of them is wrong. I'm pretty sure, including my own. I don't know where. If I did, I would change it. But we are fallible human beings. This can never be wrong. And so what we want to do is take our systematic theology, look to this, and we don't question the Bible, we question the theology. That's what got me to change my theology with, you know, one verse. <laughs> right? Because the Scripture is without error in its original, but... So the, the fifth point is we interpret Scripture with Scripture. Now, I leave that last for this reason. This is one that people use first. You'll have people, especially cultists, people in cults, that will say, well, we interpret Scripture with Scripture, so what do they do? They open to the Bible, just randomly open, you know, Judas hung himself. Oh, I don't like that one. Let me flip somewhere else. Go and do likewise. Right. Is, is that how we should interpret? You know, um, I, 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 I've debated a friend of mine, Matt Slick, on, on actually a whole lot of different <laughs> issues. He's Presbyterian. I'm Baptist. He's covenantal. I'm dispensational. He believes tongues continue. I believe they cease. He believes in baptizing infants. I think he's crazy. Um, but, but with all these different things, you know, one of the things we debated the, the gifts of, of languages or the, the gifts overall, his argument is when he looks at First, uh, First Corinthians 13, he says, he makes a case, face-to-face -face always means a personal encounter. And therefore, it must mean that. Now, it's interesting because in the debate, he admitted that in that the context where it says 
face-to-face, looking in a mirror dimly as then face-to-face, he admitted that that's an illustration. So my point was you never make an illustration. Illustration is not prescriptive, right? It's illustrating something that's prescriptive. And so he's illustrating. So I'm not going to make the illustration the main thing. And so I said, that's, that's an illustration. But what does he do? He looks at where he sees face-to-face, and it doesn't occur that many places, and he goes, see, that is got to be a face-to-face encounter. Until, of course, you get to Proverbs. And there's a passage in Proverbs where it says, when you look at water face-face. And that's the, that, there in the, it translates it in the English, face reflects face. Ah, oh, that's exactly what you do when you look in a mirror dimly versus a face reflecting clearly. Ah, so I only needed one verse to prove that not all verses do that. But, but that's what a lot of people do is they'll take a passage and say, well, see if, you know, I'll give you another one that some people do, thousand years. They'll say, well, see, a thousand years in Revelation, it's, it's you know, Revelation is a figurative language. Therefore, a thousand must be figurative. Okay, Revelation is figurative language overall, but not all of it might be the reason why 1,000 years in, in Revelation 20 is, is we have it six times in six verses. Maybe there's some emphasis on the actual 1,000 years. I could be wrong. And, and Matt actually used to make the argument. He said, everywhere where you see 1,000 in the Bible, it's, it's figurative. Well, I looked that up and gave him a whole bunch that where it's not. But what about 1,000 years? Well, do you know that if you, t- if you exclude Revelation 20, you only have 1,000 years four times in the Bible. Two in the Old Testament, Psalms and Proverbs, both are Hebrew poetry, so those would be figurative. The two other times are in the New Testament, and that's in First uh, Peter. A day is like a 1,000 years, a 1,000 years is like a day. And his, his argument, you see, that's, that's a figurative. But is it? It's an illustration. And that illustration only makes sense if you're comparing a literal day to a literal 1,000 years, right? Because if you're not comparing, if if it's a figurative day to a figurative thousand years, then it makes no sense. You're comparing a short period of time to a long period of time. So yes, it's an illustration, but it's an illustration using a literal thousand years. So guess what? That just blew the argument. But I'm not going to make the argument by looking at the way the word is used everywhere else in the Bible. I'm going to make the argument by what? What was the very first one that we talked about? Context. The context, he makes it really clear. A thousand years, this will happen. And after a thousand years, this, then this, then this. Well, he seems to be making an emphasis on time, chronological events, tying it to a thousand years. That's the context. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the scriptures, and what I don't want to do, what a lot of people do, is they they look for a word that is here, and they find the same English word here, and they go, oh, that must mean the same thing. No, not always, Okay. But how do we do it? Well, the same thing that we looked at when we looked at Romans 8 and Hebrews 6. Right? I'm going to compare Scripture with Scripture. Hebrews 6 seems to indicate, in, in, a, in a cursory reading, it seems to indicate or could be used to indicate that you could lose your salvation. What am I doing? I compared it with Romans 8. Why? That was clear. That was easier to interpret. And it was also, as we said, prescriptive. So I'm comparing Romans 8 with Hebrews 6 and going, Hebrews 6 cannot mean that you can lose your salvation because Romans 8 says you cannot, right? That's comparing Scripture to Scripture. But what you have to do with both of those passages 
is interpret both. You can't just read and go, well, I, th I think this means this, so I'm going to apply it to this. People say all the time we use Scripture to interpret Scripture, but you have to first interpret both passages to then see if they apply together. Okay? And I'm going to give you an illustration of that in, uh, in the next hour. Uh, because fun, fun. I was doing. I was debating a Muslim, and uh, and he he did exactly what I just said. He took one passage with one word, another passage with another word. And he said, "See, this proves Jesus isn't God." Now, if you're wondering what passages he used, well, you're going to have to be here at eleven. <laughs> you can't go home. Just you can't just come for a free breakfast. All right. So, pop quiz without looking at your notes. What's the first and most important thing to interpretation of Scripture? Yeah, well, that's the first thing we do, but what's the most important? Context. Okay, so the first is the context. What's the second thing that we looked at? Go ahead. Differentiate the difference between a prescriptive and descriptive. Understand the type of literature you're dealing with. Okay, what was the third? Give me more. <laughs> now he's looking down. Yeah. You interpret the difficult passages by the easy passages. Good. What's the next one? This now now it's, now it's for you. Now, yeah, what was Yeah. That's right. We we look at our we question our own presuppositions. And then the last the fifth one Scripture is Scripture. And the reason for it is because, again, do you, one, you see how all these interplay with each other. If God can't be wrong, His Word is not, there's not going to be an inconsistency here. Right? And so there will be inconsistency with us. So we're going to take Scripture with Scripture because it's going to be accurate here, but we, we're the ones that could be wrong. Right? So we're not, if us saying, well, this is what Scripture means, well, there shouldn't be any scripture that disagrees with that conclusion, right? So you see how that it all interplays when we do it right. It, has it been helpful? Okay. So, so you guys are all going to dig into the Word of God. Stop calling pastor when you have questions. No. <laughs> Actually, no. I, I got news. For, yeah. No. Well, here's here's the reality. The the reality for poor Pastor Steve is here's what ends up happening. When when you teach, it's more questions. Because now all of a sudden, as you guys dig in, but the check instead of coming to him and saying, Pastor, I'm struggling with this, you start calling, Pastor, how do you, how do you interpret this? How do I deal with this? But you know what? I'll tell you this. I'll, I'll tell you one thing I, I do know from personal experience. I said not to interpret by experience, but I could share for The more you dig into this to try to figure out how to interpret it, and the more you call Pastor to, to better learn how to interpret it and understand it better, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Those problems you thought you were having, you're not actually going to think about those because you pour yourself into this and this becomes your focus and you stop worrying about the car that broke down, the job that you lost because you're starting to learn this. So I shared with you what I did when I was studying Ryrie's basic theology, right? So let me tell you when I did that. I, I started that study just before the company I worked for went bankrupt and I ended up being out of work. During the time that I started this study just before is when, I, when I really was pouring myself into understanding God's word is when I, I ended up losing my job. I ended up being homeless. And I, I didn't, it didn't bother me. In, in fact, it was interesting because 
at that time, I, my parents, if my parents, when they found out I was looking to go to seminary at that time, because that's when I felt like I should really head off to seminary, and they sent me to, to a psychiatrist. <laughs> now, they had previous, as a guy I had seen previously, because when they found out I was a Christian, they sent me to the rabbi. And the, and the rabbi's like, hey, all religions are good. Just stick to yours type of thing. So they sent me to this Jewish psychiatrist, and that didn't go over so well. But the, the psychiatrist ended up telling my dad, because he's like, can I talk to your dad? And my dad's paying the bill. Hey, I don't, I'm, I'm, just here, I'm just here to waste an hour of time and share the gospel with you. I mean, that's what I, that was my job. I mean, I'm getting, you're getting paid by my dad to share, for me to share the gospel with you. That's how I view it, you know. And so he goes, he goes, I've never met a 23-year-old man that has his head on straight, that could lose his job, have, you know, you know and, the, and my dad didn't know I was homeless at the time, but, didn't, you know, have, every, like, just everything taken out from underneath you, and it doesn't even seem to phase you. And I said, yeah, because I'm rooted in this book, because all I want to do is understand this. And as the more I dug in, all those things in life, just, I just said, I'll trust God. Okay? And so I know from personal experience, the more you dig in, the less you're going to worry about all the things that are going on around you. And, and things that could seem like, oh, it's so bad, right? Now, you'll bother pastor with a lot of great, and I'll tell you, he's going, he's going to prefer those questions anyway. <laughs> He'd much prefer you calling him saying, hey, can we dig into this passage together rather than, hey, you know, I'm having an argument with my wife. <laughs> okay? So, so let's, let's, let's close in a word of prayer, right? Heavenly Father, we, we are so grateful that you give us your word. We would... We, we can only know about you through what you reveal to us. You are more than we can ever understand, infinitely more. And we are so grateful that you give us something that we can look to to know about you, that you help us to understand your word, you and the personal Holy Spirit indwell us, to illuminate uh, your word to us, to apply it for us. We ask, Lord, that uh, you would just help us to understand your word, that we dig into it richly just to study it and to, to, to really want to know what it is you say, uh, that we would just be in love with you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.